0: Anyway, back to the podcast. Last week, Tim, didn't Tim do a great job? Those of you here, just want to honour you, Tim. He did a great job in uh, (laughs) starting... This is so bizarre. Starting... (laughs) Anyway, he did such a great job in starting our series called in the city for the city can we just say that all together after three one two three in the city and for the city we are endeavoring to be a church despite uh, many challenges um, in being a church that actually cares about those beyond our own lives and we were looking at the whole um, theological background to the word bless what it is to be a blessing in the hebrew and the greek that the people of God have always been designed by God even from Abraham's calling to be those who bless who bring something of the kindness and the generosity and the goodness of God to the world around us that we're called to be a blessing and today uh, we're going to continue that that sort of journey at looking what it means to be a people who in word and deed bless the world around us and um God wants us I mean particularly now right when you think about San Francisco this is a city that is hurting I mean we love this city but I mean it is just you know there's there's so many things this city is having to deal with that's honestly different from a lot of cities Um, a lot of just the the restrictions with regards masks and just the unemployment I had recently not to depress us too much but uh, there was, there's now currently 15 million square feet of empty office space, which is an unprecedented amount in this city. Billy Atkins told me, which is the equivalent to 12 Salesforce towers of empty office space. So we're in a city that has seen 90,000 people move out. It's battling to um, to navigate um, this this second uh, wave well. With integrity and it's not it's not easy so how do we the church how do we the church amidst a difficult time how do we bless this city and if you're anything like me and i can see it on your faces that as you hear me say this you're i bet you you're like me that number one one level you think yes i want to be a blessing i want to care about my neighbors the royal law is To love your neighbour as yourself. It's called that, the royal law. Anyone here is a monarchist. It's a royal law. I love that. I don't quite know why it's called that, but I like it. Reminds me of England. It's the royal law. To love your neighbour as yourself. We, one level, yes Tom, I want to do that. I want to love my neighbour. And then the second part of you is like, but my life is pretty crazy. Honestly, I want to be that person, but I feel fearful, I feel exhausted. I feel overwhelmed, I feel low, I feel anxious. Um, I don't feel particular love for lots of people around me. You know, my life is hard. And, and honestly, Tom, I hear what you're saying, and I would see it in the Bible, but there's a big part of me that also kind of just struggles, particularly now, to think beyond the turbulence of life. Anyone here brave enough to say you feel something of that tension? That tension that you want to be a blessing oh just me then me and two others okay let's have a little bit of interaction here people Uh, yes so we feel that I hope you feel that tension or else the whole preach will bore you if you feel no tension then um, either you absolutely love mission and you're just constantly communicating to people about Jesus or you don't at all Uh, and uh, I just want to say that tension is, is good and healthy and real and we need to kind of bring it to Jesus And what I love about Luke 10, I don't know how familiar you are with this bit of the Bible, it is absolutely bursting with both both practical coaching in terms of how we can be a people who express the love of Jesus, how we can be a people who are in the city and for the city. But also, not just the, the how, it's what I love about this passage, and I don't know if you've ever noticed it, is the, is the heart of how Jesus communicates this. And if you know anything about Luke 1 to 9, and particularly you know, the context of Luke 10, in Luke 9, if you just scan read that chapter, it is a turbulent time for Jesus. It's a very turbulent time for his disciples and him. It's not dissimilar to our turbulent life. It would have been very easy for Jesus and his disciples to be like time out Things are crazy, there's lots going on. The last thing we're going to think about is loving other people. We need to hunker down, care for ourselves, and get through this storm, right? But what we see in Luke 10 is that despite the turbulence and the difficulty, Jesus here gives us some amazing gold. And here's the great news, okay? Today, as we begin this, what does it mean for us to be a a blessing? Before he gives them anything to do, He gives them a mindset to have. If you're going to make any notes, that's a good one to write down. I crafted that one myself. Before he gives them anything to do about mission and loving other people, he wants them to have a mindset to have. And the mindset, in summary, is this. That we have to be, say have to be, we have to be, as Christ followers, sent and sustained by the father and that's why the key idea here is practically is going to be about prayer so today's title is that we're beginning with prayer if we want to be people who love the world prayer is so crucial because it's the practical way that we have the right mindset about this which is that we have to be sent and sustained by the father so let me just uh read a few verses here and then we'll just make a couple of comments Verse 1, chapter 10. After this, after the turbulent season that we've just described, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, here we go. This is the, I just want to notice, this is really interesting what he does now. Tune in if you're zoning out. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I'll read that again. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Who is the Lord of... This is Jesus talking to the 72, and he's saying there's load of need out there, the harvest is ready, there's not many people willing to go. Next step, this is, the, this is our crucial big idea of today, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Who is the Lord of the harvest if it's not him? He's not saying pray to me. Who is he? What's his name? This is Jesus talking. Who does Jesus pray to a lot? The Father. So, all the scholars agree. He's saying it's an interesting idea. He's commissioning them and sending them, Jesus. But his prayer for them is that they will pray to the Father, his Father. For him to send them have you ever noticed that i don't i had not noticed that until i read this recently Prayers he to the lord the father to send out laborers so that's the big idea there is this almost double sending jesus is sending them but he's like i'm sending you but i actually want you to pray that your father would send you what does that mean how is it not enough for jesus to send us What's he getting at there? We're going to look at that today. My my hypothesis is that we see in this passage three benefits to the Father sending and sustaining the workers, that's us. When the Father sends us, there are three huge benefits to it. We become those who are courageous, not fearful. We become joy-filled, not gloomy and guilty. we become dependent not self-reliant i'm going to argue that from this passage i think the activity of praying earnestly and therefore the father sending you and supplying you and sustaining you leads to in this passage i think these three incredibly wonderful things in the life of loving your neighbor that normally we wouldn't have naturally which is courage not fear Joy, not guilt, and dependence, which I know sounds like a negative to you Americans, Independence Day, but it's actually a positive in the Bible. Dependence, not self-reliance. So let me just briefly argue that, and then we'll just we'll respond with breaking of bread. First of all, notice here, the feel of this is I, I think it's true to say he's saying if you're sent by the Father, you, oh Christian. Despite probably your human trepidation, can expect courage. And this is really important because obviously, what is the opposite of courage? What's the thing that can so naturally drag us down? And even as I'm saying this, if I was like, let's go and tell people about Jesus and Dog Patch, most of us would go, Okay, ha, you go for it, Pastor. I'll be praying for you. Who here is brave enough to say sometimes you feel quite fearful? right yeah it's such a and this is what Jesus says here in this passage he helps us to see that that is at one level a natural human response he says this here look with me he says verse 3 go your way behold I am sending you out as mighty men and women oh no oh no that's not what he says <laughs> I'm sending you out as what say it <laughs> lambs amongst wolves not sheep this doesn't even give us the dignity of sheep you're a baby sheep you're like a little lamb, now I don't know if you have no lambs, in England we love lamb, we're more into lamb in England than I think the Americans and um, we used to, used to do a lot of hiking in the Lake District which is where Beatrix Potter is, is all from beautiful part of the world and um, lots of lambs and when you have lamb you tend to have mint sauce with lamb like typically, and all it would take as a young teenager hiking in the, in the lake district was to shout, mince Sauce! And these little lambs would run for their lives. Okay, <laughs> off they scuttled. They didn't eat, I mean, it's a silly joke, but you know, it, just shouting at them basically made them run away. Lambs, okay, you're a lamb, say I'm a lamb, I'm a lamb. A lamb. and you're in a city of wolves. You're like, oh yeah, it feels like that, Tom. You know, I mean, this is a a, a truth for no matter where we live, this side of Jesus' return, even if you live in Colorado or in LA, but particularly in San Francisco, it can feel like we're kind of surrounded by walls, And we can often feel like, man, I I just feel pretty fearful of, I'm not clever enough to talk about the gospel. I feel like people have got so much baggage you know, we think there's so much news at the moment about fallen leaders and churches that have broken people. I mean, it's it's an epidemic of its own kind. And then you dare to say in your workplace, oh, "I'm actually a Christ follower," you're going to expect a reaction, right? The wolves are ready, and Jesus is like, "Yes, that's correct. You are that. You are in some ways like a wolf before lambs. No, a lamb before wolves." But notice how he brilliantly, subtly frames how they are to see themselves with a different identity. Yes, you're a lamb at one level, but he gives them, through the way he starts to send them, a different identity. He says here in verse 1, did you notice this? After this, the Lord appointed 72, and he sent them on ahead of him. Someone shout out to me, what does that sound like? Does that ring any bells? If you get sent ahead of an important person what is your name what are you scout. a scout Yep. Yeah, that's a good example what other word the word in my head begins with H if you're going ahead of an important person to tell people that this person's coming what are you herald. A, a her- who said Harold Harold herald. well done That's a nightmare when the preacher does that doesn't he like, what, does, what word does he want I don't know <laughs> But a herald in England is called a town crier. They'd have a big bell. Hear ye, hear ye, the mayor is coming. And he's saying, you know, John the Baptist was a herald. It wasn't about John the Baptist, but he was pointing to someone. And this is so crucial. He sent them out ahead of him to every place that he would go. Now, this is massive. Why is this a big deal? Because if you struggle with fear, being a herald and not the hero will set us free so many times from fear. So many of the reasons that we are fearful is because we subtly think of ourselves as we've got to be the hero, right? You've got to have all the answers, Victor, for every friend of yours who um, has got lots of aggression about Jesus. You've got to have it already, okay? Now, you might not consciously think that that's true, but we often feel that pressure, and he's like, no, no, you have got an important role, but you're not the hero, you're just the herald. And you think about that, now if you were to go walk around the street to SF and go, okay everyone, to San Francisco, you're going to have a re- reaction. Some will go, awesome, some won't. If you were to say, Hey, ye, hear ye, Trump is coming to San Francisco. You know, some people wouldn't be that thrilled, and some people would. Depends which neighbourhood you're in, right? The point is, as a herald, as a Christ heralder, you are here to, through action and word, look for opportunities to communicate the coming king. But you're not the king. And if you were to say, Biden's coming, Trump's coming, people will have a reaction, but you're not going to take it personally. You're just going to be like, oh, okay, of course that politician has a reaction between these people that's not to do with me. My job is simply to keep communicating the coming king. And that herald, if you think about it, they're not going to be someone who's like, there's a couple of ways why a herald's going to set you free from fear. Number one, because the pressure's off. The pressure is off, people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you get rejected by people, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the hero, the king. That's wonderful. When that gets into your skin, I mean, I'm quite a sensitive person by nature, a people pleaser. Even Tom Shaw, in the last few years, has become a bit more courageous. I really, as this truth has got into me, they're not reacting against you, Tom, most of the time. The pressure is off. And secondarily, the second reason why this is so powerful is the privilege Of the good story that you and I have to say, the privilege, when we do Alpha, when we just have those conversations, the privilege of communicating the good story of Jesus is so real. And yet we so often kind of unconsciously forget that we are called to be heralds of a good story, not a bad story. Now, this is a huge point because, honestly, Satan is real. The enemy is real. And he loves to tell half-truths to the world. And lots of our friends who don't know Jesus think they've heard what Christians believe and they haven't actually heard it. And we get to say, no, no, friends, this is a good story. You know, I vividly remember with my older brother who was a professor at Stanford University. He's extremely clever, well-read, he's he's a mythologist he's read thousands of books on the great stories of the world and up in Marin one winter's night three years ago just the conversation came around to Jesus and he's not a Christian and I ended up saying to him well you know the Christian faith is basically that we believe God loves this earth he made this earth it's his the earth is the Lord and everything in it he loves this earth he cares about the environment he really does and we screwed it up all of us but rather than rejecting us he so loved us he actually gave his only boy his son who died and rose and is going to return and the bible tells us he's going to make everything new and we're not going to float off away from this nasty earth the bible tells us he's going to renew and heal radically this world so that we will all live with resurrection bodies on a resurrected earth with a with a resurrected christ silence and he was like that's the gospel I was like yeah he said I've never heard anyone say that all I've ever heard Christians say is, is basically avoiding hell and trying to get off to heaven guys you can put it in your own words we come to herald a good story amen no, this is huge because if you don't amen with me I think you don't believe it and you're not going to be you're not going to be courageous because if we think for example we have to convert anyone which is totally we're going to see here not true we're called to love people which is so different our emphasis is we love, we love, we love and when there's opportunity to communicate we get, we do because we're ambassadors of a good story we have good we have to get that into our skins you know, we're coming to sound the Herald, that there's a good story that San Francisco has been lied to. It's been lied to most of the time. It's filled with people who have been judged and um, sidelined and have, they have legitimate reasons why they don't like Christians. If you, when we talk to people. And when we say, do you know what, sin is real? I'm not going to pretend it isn't. But man, God is so much bigger and kinder and he's for you and he loves you. Maybe it's just me, but I feel more relaxed about telling that story than the story I often think, which is I've got to get to sin and be really, like, intense quickly and, you know, to be a true Christian. no, like, no, no, no. Anyway, so the first step is we are heralds. We don't have to be the hero. So we shift from fear to courage. The second thing he does here, which is so brilliant, is he deals with one of the biggest second wrong mindsets, which is Guilt. You see, look here with me. He says here um, in uh verse two think about hearing Jesus say these words. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, if I hear that, my next emotion is what's if you just heard Jesus say that to you, there's loads of people who want to know about God. But there's no Christians, very few Christians who are willing to go and tell people. What are you going to feel? What emotion might you feel? Guilt. Guilt. I'm like, oh gosh, yeah. And I'm one of those rubbish Christians. I'm sorry, Jesus. I would feel guilt. But look, look what he does. He doesn't then say, therefore, get your butt into action and get on with it. He doesn't do that. He's so kind. He says, he goes vertical. He says, yeah, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly again. Prayer to the Lord of the harvest for him to send you. I want you to be fathered into this mission not sent by guilt. There's such a difference when you're sent by the father rather than sent by guilt. You can look the same but if in your engine you've got basically guilt avoidance it's exhausting and it's heavy. And what we see in this passage is anything but guilt it's joy look what it says here they i don't know how they felt this moment they're like what the heck does it mean to be sent by the father i don't know i don't know either and notice it's 72 okay it's not some inner group of marines this isn't like the 12 who let's be honest weren't that impressive anyway but it's this other group now they don't go to church as much they're more distant they feel even less spiritual. Jesus is saying the same thing to them now. I'm sending you like I sent the 12. But look what happens in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, high-fiving, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. Back of the net. They feel the sense of, wow, we are representing a real king in a real battle and there's something of like a kind of uh, an authority these lambs have got yes they're only heralds but they're mighty heralds if you pick on my king and you pick on me then my king is involved with that he's going to respond and look with verse 21 and in the same hour Jesus rejoiced he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit so what I'm trying to say is joy was the mark of the early church It really was I mean I haven't got time to prove this you look at one Peter there is inexpressible joy that you have got Peter says despite horrendous trials there was joy when Pentecost came and the early church was birthed and they rejoiced and they worshiped and it's all in the context of mission It's not in the context of hunkering down it's in the context of looking beyond their own challenges and their own turbulence as they are sent by the father and that they're sustained by the father as they go out what we see is that there is this wonderful sense of joy you see so often as Christians we, we don't have joy and we think I just need to be be prayed for or I need more worship and those are good things Sometimes the reason we don't have joy, as uh, Billy Graham said actually, is that we leak because we're not on mission. Actually, Jesus says, go into all the worlds and I will be with you. The context of the closeness of Jesus is in the going. Sometimes the way that Jesus wants us to receive joy is actually when we're stepping out despite crazy lives and just believing him, beyond ourselves how can i still be a blessing despite feeling like a lamb despite feeling so weak and fragile in that context we so often see this gift of joy and again the enemy i can feel this even as i'm saying this you kind of believe me and some of you kind of don't because you're like no no no, tom you don't understand i i've had difficult times and i get that i'm from england okay it's incredibly hostile to the gospel But I want to say to you, his word is true, that there is the possibility of amazing joy when we're sent by the Father, we're listening to the Father, and we're just saying, Father, you know, what might you do through me today in this great city around me? One of the reasons that there's so much joy is because what Jesus does here is he sets them free from feeling responsible. He says here in verse um, 10, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, keep going, keep persisting, because you're responsible for making them become Christians. Oh, no, he doesn't say that. He says, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you. This is so dramatic of Jesus. He's, I think there's a bit of an actor in Jesus, a bit of a drama king. He says, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. I mean, you don't literally have to say that. But what Jesus is saying is, is when you have tried to communicate somehow, something of the reality of Christ to those around you, and they do not respond, you do not have to keep persisting, is what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that people are responsible for their own responses to the gospel. I think that's just massive. He wants us to love everybody, but the world is responsible for their own responses, which sets us free from guilt, right? In my life, it's very different me feeling like I need to communicate the gospel, which feels okay, versus I've got to have results what he's saying is the results are, are, are the people's responsibility and number two they're god's responsibility you know jesus didn't convert everyone even jesus said i've done the works my father gave me to do isn't that amazing that that god is responsible for the outcome and people are responsible you and i hallelujah we are not Responsible. What we are responsible for is praying earnestly and being sent and sustained by the Father. And and when that gets into your skin, oh, yeah, okay, I'm not responsible. Say, so I'm, I'm not responsible. For anyone's conversion. For anyone's conversion. But I am responsible to love my neighbour. That's so different. That's, that's, that's an adventure. I remember just a few weeks ago, Tim and I, we normally meet for a coffee every so often and just sit and talk. And this time I said, hey, Tim, let's wander around Portola where we live. Just see what God might do. We'll still hang out, but let's just be available. And so um, we just wandered around Portola and just were like, Holy Spirit, we're going to meet and be together. But Lord, maybe you want to communicate something of the love of God through us in this place. And it was amazing the different things that happened. One of them was as we were walking along, this man, Paul slowed up and said, hey guys, have you seen a nine-year-old boy in a black t-shirt? He's run away from our house, our son. We don't know where he is. And we were like, no, we haven't seen him, but give us your cell number. What's your name? John, okay. And we will let you know if we hear anything. And of course, as soon as he drives off, Tim and I start to pray. God, Jesus, would you, this is like Poppy running off. Would you right now protect this little boy? Would you somehow unite him with his parents? God, would you be, would you be victorious? I texted the guy later on, How, any update? Hey, thanks for getting back to me. All solved. He's safe and well. Thank you so much. So he's safe and maybe we played some partner. Who knows? We were praying to God and now I have a new quasi-friend, John, the dad of the lost boy. I have his cell number and he lives near me. And then later on, Tim and I were walking back to our house and there was a, a, a young man getting into a car and we're just walking past and I noticed he had soccer boots over his shoulder and I was just going to ignore him and I, I was just like, I can't say I was praying earnestly, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you know, I'm just like alert, like Jesus, anything, anything? And at the last minute, I felt like a nudge of the spirit, like say something. So I, Mr. Rubbish Athletic Man, He's like hi um into soccer um have you been watching the euro championships and he looked at me and said oh no these are actually rugby boots and i was like rugby It's an even more english game and he was like oh are you are you that british pastor who's church planting in san francisco i was like yes <laughs> tim and i were like what the heck and then his dad jumped out of the car and was like we heard you preach a few week, weeks ago we we're at this event you were there so great that you're here we stopped for 20 minutes they're just pouring out enthusiasm they've lived there all their life we're exchanging numbers then tim's invites him to their fourth of july thing and he's going to come the last minute can't we're just like god you're doing stuff yeah all it took was a a tiny risk on me and this is the thing it, it brought joy to me and tim it was we're on mission me and tim blundering around you know, out-of-towners, but but God can use us. and And when the pressure is off, that's what I'm saying, there's no guilt, it's just like, wow, we felt physically and emotionally different because of that little moment of missional just readiness. So we shift from fear to courage, we shift from guilt to, to joy, and the last thing we see here is we shift from a self-reliance to a dependence look with me here these are some strange words verse 4 carry no money bag knapsack or sandals no money bag knapsacks or sandals as a parent i am confused because if my kids are going anywhere i want them to have knapsacks sandals money phones anything that's going to protect them and jesus is doing the opposite he's sort of stripping them down and he's already called them lambs and now he's saying i don't even want you to have a spare set of sandals i mean i presume they were allowed to wear their sandals that they had i presume they weren't barefoot but i'm not entirely sure so why is he doing this he is wanting them i think to feel not just a little bit in need of god but to feel radically say radically radically totally completely vulnerably stripped down so they need God like a hundred percent he's saying you're going out amongst wolves and you can't even have anything that would give you some sense of strength he is wanting them to feel very very dependent he's getting at self-reliance which is honestly this is a strong word but it's true the cancer of our countries. And it is strange because obviously some level of independence is a good thing you understand there's, there's some elements of being independent it's great but when it comes to doing the christian life it's this upside down thinking it's this topsy-turvy you have to actually kind of consciously do every day what is my knapsack money bag sandal thing what what is god saying take that off don't rely on that thing in your life i mean Oh my goodness! I was reading this and thinking, "Oh, how can I preach this to the flock?" And then God was like, "No, no, this is for you. <laughs> this is for you, Tom." But I feel so stripped down right now. I mean, here I am, a country bumpkin from England in San Francisco. I don't understand many of the phrases and language. And and then God throws in another mask mandate, and just goodness me, you know, stripping down. Of anything that could make us feel confident and strong is a huge huge lesson that I know we hear at church and then we leave and when we suddenly start to feel depressed or anxious we think something's wrong and sometimes God's saying no no that that is your money bag (laughs) you know you lose your job your relationship becomes very difficult with loved ones you, you lose friends because they leave the city you know you suddenly feel stripped you've become financially suddenly really in a shaky place humanly the things that got you to this stage in your life that meant you were the golden child suddenly stop working and you go into a different season god wants us to feel radically dependent this is why he says, "Pray earnestly, earnestly to the Father." There's a word that's like, pray, you cannot. You know, the older I get, the more I realize. Prayer is just it, it really is meant to be this like breathing. This just increasingly sort of semi-unconscious thing we do. We're just constantly saying, "Spirit of God, I need you for everything. I need you to give up control. Surrender my heart to control." give it to you again oh that's I want to be in control but I'm trying to do this I actually practice this with my hands put my hands behind my back because it helps me remember I'm not in control slow my breathing I breathe out my grasping of control it's like prayer pray Father your will be done You see, we have to be very sensitive when it comes to loving our neighbours. This is why this is so crucial. Don't miss this. This is my last point. If you, you see, a labourer, this is our final identity thing. You're a labourer in the work, in the harvest, okay? Sometimes, one of the most sad things that's happened is Christians who have just been pretty insensitive with the world around them oh the harvest is here bang bang you know and you know do you have the word scythe here you know what i mean that old-fashioned big sticky thing with the sharp razor blade thing You know that you cut the harvest it's like picture the scene i'm a laborer in the harvest i am not the lord say i'm not the lord now think about this picture this is this is where we'll end if i'm a laborer and I don't know what I'm doing and I have this very sharp thing he is the Lord on top of the hill the harvest is plentiful I'm willing my I'm, i feel weak I feel like a lamb I'm not the. I get all of that but I'm willing I need to depend on this great king farmer this true Lord farmer w- w- father what do I do today oh so with this person I just listen do you want me to say anything no just listen okay for that long okay you sure yeah don't say anything don't say anything don't try and twist it to Jesus just listen you sure yes next day you're in a different spot now now you need to do this okay with this person it's time to be bold are you sure yes the only way we can be good labourers and delicate skillful harvesters when you don't know what you're doing, is when you are depending on the, la- on the Lord. The Lord of the harvest is saying, this, this, this. So, what it means is we have to keep listening. There's no shortcut. We keep listening and we become, I want to say, deliciously dependent. Say deliciously dependent. So that if someone was to say to you, "What do you think the Lord of the Harvest is saying to you right now, Matt?" You have to answer that. (laughs) But I want you to feel that slight provocation, Minette, Leah, Nico. What's he saying? It's a good question to ask yourself. Lord, what are you saying? Be ready on every occasion, Peter says. Be ready. He's with you. He's leaning in. As we go out what's he going to say john the manager here how can we bless john i don't know if he knows jesus i think he told me that there's been some challenges in the past so we want to love you know deliciously dependent we go from being self-reliant to dependent francis chan when he moved to this city a few years ago tells the amazing story as he was starting we are church there's just a few of them like this kind of number and they were praying, and I think Francis is probably a man of prayer amongst, almost above everything. And he's very, de- very dependent on the Lord. He doesn't have a plan. He's dependent on the Lord of the harvest. And he sa- tells the story of how they felt God say, believe me to, sh- to feed thousands this weekend. Feed physically thousands of people who are very poor. And so they started to, in faith to get the word out that we're gonna feed thousands of people who are really poor this week in San Francisco. No idea how they're gonna do it. On the Friday, this is honestly true, according to him, on the Friday they get a phone call from a big supermarket that had had a mysterious power cut and they had to get rid of all their food very quickly. And somehow they'd known that this guy in this little church were wanting to serve thousands of people. And so that weekend they had the food, they served thousands of people, It's amazing. The point being, that only came because he was listening, right? That's not, that's not like a sort of a church planting manual how-to. You know, pray for a power cut at a big supermarket. We, we are called to an amazing adventure where God's going to give us unique, specific things for us to do if we are listening.